It's 12.09. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Quick reminder, tomorrow is the first day of Summerfest 2018. Now, there's an early Brewers game, so I won't be broadcasting from Summerfest tomorrow. I, I do hope uh, our tradition is to uh, start off the first day of Summerfest with an interview with the Don Smiley, Summerfest CEO, and I'm hoping we'll be able to accomplish that. Um, I am going to physically be down at Summerfest on Thursday doing the show and a few days next week as well. So if you happen to be in the area, stop off, um, say hi. I always enjoy that. All right, a lot of stuff to talk about on today's show. Let's begin with the... Just explosive debate, the President of the United States versus local icon Harley Davidson. Now, if you want to understand the impact of of trade and withdrawing from trade agreements and how this affects you know people and how it affects companies, this is a classic example of it. In and, and we gotta go back to really understand this. You've got to go back about a year and a half. In May of 20, in, in April of 2017, um, President Trump announced that he was going to withdraw the United States from something called the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which was this free trade agreement um, with 11 other nations, mostly in Asia. He said, bad deal, we're going to pull out of this. As a result of that, some of these Asian nations with no trans-Pacific partnership started imposing tariffs on U.S. goods. Harley-Davidson, the iconic American company, all right, headquartered here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Harley-Davidson is struggling to survive. Their long-term goal is, in the next 10 years, to have about 50% of their bikes sold overseas, Europe, Southeastern Asia, etc. So after the president withdrew this country from the Trans-Pacific Partnership and Thailand started imposing um, imposing tariffs, well, Harley-Davidson had, has, a, has a plant in, in Thailand. And so, well, Harley-Davidson is building a plant in Thailand because they better want to reach the Asian market and they want to avoid these tariffs. So that was the effect of pulling out of the Trans-Pacific partnership all right they want to be able to get they don't want to have to pay the, these huge tariffs that are there well okay flash forward to this month president trump says hey trade wars are good trade wars are easy to win and president trump says we're going to start slapping tariffs on goods that are coming not just from china but also from europe and canada and mexico what happens then is the european union in response says well if you're going to slap tariffs on goods that the United States is importing from the European Union, what we're going to do is we're going to put tariffs on stuff that the U.S. is exporting into Europe. So what's good for the goose is good for the gander, to use the cliche. All right, now that that leaves Harley-Davidson in kind of the middle of, of this, because Harley-Davidson is trying to sell its motorcycles in Europe. And as a result of the tariffs that Europe is going to put in place because we're going to impose tariffs, the cost of a bike in Europe goes up about $2,200, which dramatically hurts sales. These things are already expensive enough. And if all, if you just all of a sudden you say, all right, it's going to cost $2,200 more to buy a Harley that is imported into Europe, 
well, you, the sales are just going to crater. So Harley Davidson comes out and says, okay, well, well here's what we're going to do. We got to get around these tariffs. So what we're going to do is we're going to start switching production overseas and we'll start making, you know, some of these bikes elsewhere. They do have, you've got to say, like, you've got the plant in Thailand. They've got plants in a couple other places as well. So they say, all right, we're, we're going to avoid these tariffs. Um, we're going to move some production outside the United States for the bikes that are sold in, in Europe. Okay. All right. So there, there you have it. Well, President Trump wades in on this, and this has been the big story. He takes to Twitter, and he goes after Harley-Davidson. Here's some of the things he says. A Harley-Davidson should never be built in another country. Never. Their employees and customers are already very angry at them. If they move, watch it. It will be the beginning of the end. They surrendered. They quit. The aura will be gone, and they will be taxed like never before. So, you know, here you have the President of the United States, you know, taking on an iconic American company and threatening that company, saying, hey, you know, if you move any production overseas, you will be taxed like never before, whatever that means. And he goes on. Earlier this year, Harley-Davidson said they would move much of their plant operations in Kansas City to Thailand. And actually, let me stop it. That's not right. What they said is that they were going to be shifting production from the Kansas City plant to the York, Pennsylvania plant. But, okay, so the president says, early this year, Harley-Davidson said they would move much of their plant operations in Kansas City to Thailand. That was long before the tariffs were announced. Hence, they were just using tariffs, trade war as an excuse. Shows how unbalanced and unfair trade is, but we will fix it. So here you have the president of the United States, again, taking on Harley that says that they are you know, going to be doing this stuff in response to the tariffs. But of interest to me is the president saying that um, watch it. If they move, it will be the beginning of the end. They surrendered. They tweeted. They, they surrendered. They quit. Um, employees and customers are already very angry at them. If they move, they will be taxed like never before. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I, I want to talk to Harley enthusiasts. I mean, here here is my question. Are you angry at, at Harley-Davidson? That's what the president is suggesting, that you know, Harley-Davidson says, yeah, we're going to shift some of this production overseas to avoid the these tariffs. And he seems to believe that customers, clients, bike riders, going to be mad at Harley-Davidson for doing this. Are you mad at them for doing this, or is this just a, a response necessitated by, again, this trade war battle that's been started by the president, and now you know you've got this this ball that's rolling down the hill to the surprise of nobody. You know, European um, former allies decide to retaliate. All right, are, are people going to take this out on Harley Davidson? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The president seems to think that people are going to be angry at Harley Davidson, and this move is essentially the beginning of the end of that company. Really, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. What do you think? And if you're a Harley rider, I would be and purchaser, I would be particularly interested in hearing your perspective. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Twelve seventeen. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
1220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's President Trump taking on Harley Davidson. He's saying, hey, Harley says, hey, in response to some of these retaliatory tariffs that are being imposed by by the European Union, we're going to have to shift production overseas. President Trump says, ha, uh, people are going to be irate at Harley for doing this. This is going to be the beginning of the end. I mean, I, I will tell you, these tweets this morning attack an American iconic company uh, based in Milwaukee in, in a way that I haven't seen in a long time. And I just, all right, I mean, are people really going to take this out on Harley Davidson? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Paul in Muskego. Hi, Paul. Hi, how you doing? Real well, thank you. Okay, who's right, who's wrong, and how do you see this? Uh, I, I, I think the president's 100% wrong. Um, I, I, I'm for, let me preface this by saying I, I'm not a, a big Trump fan. But the one thing that his detractors that, that nobody can argue with is just the success of the economy. And it feels like he's just poking at that. Mm-hmm. He's just, for, for some unknown reason, if the head of the EU even said, now we've got to respond with these stupid tariffs. Mm-hmm. That was his response. And I, I, I just don't, I don't see what he's helping by, you know, the, the trade war with Canada and, and in Mexico, Mexico and yeah, yeah. You know, I, I would understand China and and you know some of the the Asian countries, but and then to go after Harley for 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 just trying to keep their business alive and and successful. I mean, I, I, that's the type. What would that's the exact type of thing he would have done as a businessman. He would have used he he bragged about that using. The rules to his advantage, the laws to his advantage. I don't see how this Harley's not doing anything illegal. No, no, thank you. Know, I see. You know, it is interesting. I, I was saying this to, to somebody today. I, let, let me take aside the fa- put aside the fact that I, I want to see Wisconsin companies succeed. I want to see Milwaukee companies succeed. But, but I, the one thing I was saying to people that, regardless of how you feel about President Trump, the one thing he's had going for him over, you know, his his first. 16, 17 months in office has been the economy has been booming. This, the stock market has been tanking for the last two weeks. And it, it's not because of any fundamental problems with companies. It's because of, of this trade war that's looming where you have a lot of investors that are just sitting there saying, Oh my gosh, you know, we, we now have all this uncertainty that's led here. You've got companies that are talking about, you know, outsourcing jobs. You've got cost of goods that are going to go through the roof. All, all for what end? And then you go after an iconic uh, American company like Harley. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I've been saying this all along. You know, conservatives, conservatives are free trade type of people, and, and imposing these retaliatory tariffs to me, it's just a recipe for disaster. And, and I mean, how is this working out in the interest of the United States? I flat out don't see it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Um, Greg and Franklin. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, good afternoon. Hi, Greg. Hi. Uh, I'd have to say that um, I'm very upset with the uh, with the president for doing this, not upset at Harley. Uh, all manufacturers right now are struggling with uh, uh, selling of motorcycles um, and whatnot. So what they have to do, unfortunately, with this tariff is, uh, you know, move move overseas. And uh, But let's, re- let's not forget, they're only building bikes that are going to be sold in Europe, not yes. in the United States. So everything built in the States here stays here um, and to avoid the tariff, unfortunately, 
they have to go overseas, which in the uh, big perspective, the problem is is uh, losing U.S. jobs, which is not we, we we can't afford to lose any more of those jobs. Right, especially good jobs like at Harley. And I and, and that's why, like, I I really don't understand part of the president's tweet today, where he says the aura will be gone. I know what he means by that, and they will be taxed. They being Harley will be taxed like never before. And I I I don't know what he's doing. Is he is he threatening that he wants to impose a special tax on Harley if Harley sends some of its production overseas? I mean, because like you say, you're right. The, the bikes that they build in, in Thailand or whatever, they're not going to be importing them back, so that's not going right. to be taxed. I, I don't know what he's talking right. about. Um, and, yes, and, and, and for having him to threaten, it, it's, it doesn't seem very, very presidential uh, uh, businessman-oriented to be threatening another it's an iconic company that <laughs> yeah. unfortunately is having a hard time, at the, you know, and, and to threaten more taxes on them, what that means, we don't know. Um, as Harley riders and owners, we know, you know, uh, prices are going up with everything the way it is every day. And to tax people more, you know, are they going to drive them more out of business? Right. Well, I- exactly. Th- I mean, thanks for calling me. I guess that's what I look at. Look, I understand that we run trade imbalances with some some comp- countries. And I, I think if the-, the way you deal with that, though, is to renegotiate trade deals the way you deal with it, at least in my opinion, isn't to start unilaterally imposing, you know, surcharges to bring imports into the country. Because as we are seeing, what happens is then the other countries retaliate by putting similar surcharges on U.S. goods, and, and you're seeing it with Harley. We talked a little bit yesterday about how this impacts Wisconsin in a big way, particularly in the agricultural area, where soybeans, all right, we, we're a big exporter of soybeans. We're a big exporter of, of cranberries. We're one of the largest cranberry producers in, in the world, and all of a sudden you start putting on these sort of artificial costs, and what happens is it becomes cost prohibitive to buy your cranberries from Wisconsin or to buy your soybeans from Wisconsin, so you turn to South America or whatever. And and the president, look, I, I support him when I think he's right, but the president, in my opinion, is dead wrong on this. And when he says trade wars are, are easy to win, no, and we're starting to see that impact, you know, right now. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Matt in Muskego. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Uh, you know, I, I'm for Trump uh, putting these, these tariffs in place because, you know, I think, you, you know, Harley's been being run to the ground since 2008 with its current management. Mm-hmm. And they, they've been outsourcing stuff. Uh, they outsource all their IT. They outsource um, all the, you know, production of bikes to Thailand, to Brazil. They, I mean, they've been doing this for forever. And, you know, this is, they're just using this as an excuse to, to outsource the rest to Europe. You Well... Now, they say that they're not, they, they say that it's not like they're going to be producing bikes in Europe that they're going to bring back into this country and, and sell. The, the bikes that they sell in the United States are going to be produced in the United States. This is just, you know, production of bikes they're trying to sell in Europe or bikes they're trying to sell in, in Asia. You still think this is all just this some sort of master plan to try to get rid of American jobs? No, I think that they, they're outsourcing. All the bikes that are going out of the country, they would they would like to produce outside the United States because it's cheaper for mm-hmm. them, you know. And that this is it, this, the the brand was you know U.S. based, you know, right. and now it's not anymore. Right. Does if if there is some truth to that, 
Does the fact that now you have these tariffs that add a, an extra $2,200 per bike, does, does that make it even more desirable for Harley to send more work overseas? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I think that this is going to be temporary, you know, and once they move it over there, they're not going to move it back. Oh, no, I think you're probably – no, th- thanks for – no, I think you're, you're, you're probably right there. I mean, once – once you go now, I mean, what what Harley will say is that you know they were shifting production to Thailand because that was partly because of what Trump did with regard to the Trans Pacific Partnership, but also you know they're, they're trying to get into the Southeastern Asia market, and it's easier if you have the facility there. So I mean, I'm sure there's some of that going on. I guess bottom line of all this is, I I, I think I believe from the beginning the president has been wrong on this tariff thing and, and wrong on trying to start a trade war. And by the way, there's a lot of good, solid conservative Republicans, starting with Scott Walker and Ron Johnson and Paul Ryan, who agree with me on this one. So I'm not out on, on a limb here. I, I don't see how companies win with regard to this. And the, the, to take on an iconic American company that's struggling, like Harley, in this fashion – to me, again, it makes no sense. It's 1220. And it will be interesting when the president is here on Thursday. Um, he's going to be at Foxconn. Um, you know, Scott Walker is going to be there. Ron Johnson, I think. I'm not sure if Ron Johnson is going to be there or not, but lots of people are going to be there. It's going to be interesting to see how this goes over. 1229, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, if you are familiar with Little House on the Prairie, but my guess is for a lot of people, they're familiar with that from the old TV show. It was an incredibly successful TV show starring Michael Landon, who became famous for playing Little Joe on the Western show Bonanza. Um, he played, he was the star of the show. He played uh, Charles Ingalls. Um, and the show in Little House on the Prairie ran from like 1974 until the early 80s, incredibly successful um, during its run. Little House on the Prairie, if you weren't familiar with this, um, it, it focused on, it focused on a, a family, um, who lived, um, near like Walnut Grove, Minnesota. And this was, it was showing about how farm life was. The show was set in the 1870s and the 1880s. And, and again, it showed, what it was like in an agrarian community, and it was it was a family show, but they tackled you know a, a number of, of significant issues, and again, very very successful. The show, the TV show, Little House on the Prairie, which has been I mean, you, they're showing it now. You can find it on certain cable TV shows and things like cable TV networks and all. The show itself was based on a series of books written. Uh, the first one was written in 1935 by a woman named Laura Ingalls Wilder. And it was sort of an autobiographical series. Um, first one, like I say, was written in 1935. And it really, it, it was kind of, it was fictionalized, but only sort of. It was based kind of on on her family and her growing up. And the Michael Landon character in the show was kind of based on on her father, all right? These children's books have been incredibly successful since, uh, again, they first came out in 1935, and they've been, you know, I I don't know that they still have kids read them, but, you know, they've been around. And my guess is, you know, maybe you grew up reading the the Little House on the Prairie books. Little House on the Prairie um, and the books, just like books written by, say, Mark Twain, 
are also books of their time. They contain, again, the first one was written in 1935, and it's a backwards look at, at growing up, and they contain some of the passions, some of the prejudices of of the time. But they're, you know, they're, they're, they're real. For example, the Little House on the Prairie books have been, well, criticized for a number of things. The, 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 let me give you an idea. The first, the first book, like at, at the very beginning of this, um, the, one of the first paragraphs, the, the author writes, um, that her, her father had a desire to go where the wild animals lived without being afraid, where the land was level and where there were no trees, and where there were no people. Only Indians lived there. There were no people. Only Indians lived there. So I guess in some people's minds, the implication was that, that Indians weren't people. Now, I don't know if that's a fair construction of it, but oh, okay, th- there it is. After, in the 1950s, when people started commenting and complaining about that phrase, they actually changed the phrase in the books. So instead of saying there were no people, they changed it to say there were no settlers, only Indians lived there. But that that didn't pacify the critics. And there's other different passages in the various books that, again, it sort of reflects the, the time. There is a portrayal of Native Americans that some people find to be unflattering, there are portrayals, uh, and there, there weren't too many, you know, black people in, in in and around Walnut Grove, Minnesota, in 1870 and 1880. But you know, there some of the portrayals tend to be a little bit critical of that as well, especially viewed through the the looking glass in 2018. So, in any event, there, this has always been. I think there's always been a few complaints, but at the same time, the question becomes: Can you sanitize history? I mean, this is this is what. It is, and the books were written in 1935. This has now become an issue because a politically correct group, for years and years and years, the Association for Library Service to Children, which is a group of librarians, has had an award that's given you know every year to various um, authors um, in in favor of like promoting child literacy okay and the award has always become the it's always been called the Laura Ingalls Wilder uh, legacy award okay so it's been named after you know this woman it's been a lifetime achievement award um and it's named after Laura Ingalls Wilder she was the first recipient of it in 1954 and she got the award because of all she'd done writing these Little House on the Prairie books promoting child literacy because people, this caused kids to read. Well, last weekend, with much, much applause and backpatting among this group of librarians, they decided we can no longer have a Laura Ingalls Wilder Award because these books that people have been growing up on for the last 80-plus years, well, they're racist. They have some of these stereotypical depictions of Native Americans or uh, African Americans in them, and, and and even though they're products of their time, we we can't honor this woman anymore. Looking at the content of these books, so this this group of librarians applauding themselves and patting each other on the back, 
unanimously decided that they were changing this award. They will now drop Laura Ingalls Wilder's name from the award, and it will now be known simply as the Children's Literature Legacy Award, because heaven knows we can no longer honor somebody like Laura Ingalls Wilder, who wrote the book she wrote in 1935 and thereafter. Let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Let me be clear here. Shame on these pin-headed, politically correct, perpetually offended, elitist librarians for deciding that we are going to sanitize history. At some point in time, don't we have to start saying enough is enough? These books were books that people grew up with and I think probably still grow up with reading. Are there stereotypical references in them? Yes, there probably are, but they were products of their time. This this is one step away from book banning. And I'm sure at some point in time, you're going to see, just like what's happened to Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer, you're going to see the move to try to ban books like this because people have no historical context for it. I think it is shameful, absolutely shameful, that Laura Ingalls Wilder's name is being dropped from this award in nothing but a clap to political correctness. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Is this an effort to sanitize history, or is this long overdue? Don't you realize she was racist? Don't you realize this was stereotypical? How can people read these books? How can we give an award that acknowledges this woman who was a force and has been a force for the better part of 80 years in causing children to read? But we can't. We can't acknowledge her. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 1245. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I have touched a nerve, which is what I intended to do, because I am so sick of these pointy-headed intellectuals and their self-righteousness deciding that they are going to determine what is appropriate for kids to read and what isn't. This American Librarian Society, they say the decision to take Laura Ingalls Wilder's name off this, this award was made in consideration of the fact that her legacy, as represented by her body of work, includes expressions of stereotypical attitudes inconsistent with our core values of inclusiveness, integrity, and respect and responsiveness. Shame on them. Here's a couple texts. I grew up reading Laura's books over and over. I am so tired of people trying to change our history um yeah that's where it starts okay let's go to um let's begin with janet in oconomowoc hi janet hi did you grow up have you read these books i have and i'm absolutely appalled that they're trying to change history by being politically correct Mm -hmm. these books were written in the 30s as you said and that's the way it was then. It's hoped, thankfully, times are changing, but as you say, we cannot change history. Well, well right, and it, and they are a slice of life and a perspective. It, it's kind of like all the flap over To Kill a Mockingbird, which I think is the great American novel. Well, it, it's got some racist references in it. Yes, it, it's set in a town in the deep south that was filled with racism in right. the 1930s or 40s. This is, uh, again... You know, these are settlers. They're dealing with Native Americans. It's the way 
Indians were viewed at the time. And, and th- this idea that, oh, she had to be a racist, we, we can't acknowledge her accomplishments and all she's done with these books and the millions of people who've learned to read on these books. No, we can't do that because, well, there's some stereotypical typical references. Give me a break. Well, to degrade Laura Ingalls Wilder in that way is just terrible. And in, in so far as the timing is concerned, our book group just discussed Great Expectations yesterday, mm-hmm. and that was written in the 18, middle 1800s. And, there, of course, there's racism in there, because that's the way it was. There were, there were the, the upper class and the lower class, and they had their opinions. But I agree with you 100% that this, is, this should not have happened. No, it, it, it shouldn't. No, thanks for the call. But, again, it's the self-righteous, defeat. You know, intellectuals who sit around and say, well, you know, we have to do this. Here's the text. My wife and I grew up watching Little House. We have three kids. They all watch the shows on DVD, and they have read the books as well. It's getting to a point where people will have no idea what life was like during the course of history. You have to take the good and bad and learn to become better people. The PC movement will do no good at any age, to which I say amen. Kathy in Milwaukee. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Um, just wanted to say that I agree with you. I think it is just beyond ridiculous that um, they are doing this to the Little House books and, and removing Laura Ingalls Wilder and her name from the award. I read those books extensively as a child. I mean, I read them over and over. And even as an adult, occasionally I go back to them because they're kind of comfort food for sure. my mind, I guess. <laughs> right, yeah. But one of the things I was going to say in the second to the last book, These Happy Golden Years, Laura is 18 years old. She's getting married, and she says to her fiancé, that she is not for women's rights and that, unlike his sister, she does not want to vote. And I remember as a kid being surprised by that, like, wow, the women didn't even vote back then. That doesn't mean I fell into that or thought that was the way to go. I mean, it it was a snapshot in time, and it's good for kids to know these things, that that's the way it was. Well, well, right, and the same thing is true with, uh, again, I mean, the book is, it talks about people settling places, you know, so, you know, there, there weren't, the, the whole idea is there, there, there weren't people, there were just Indians. Well, I, I mean, I think the way she's writing this, I don't really think she's saying that Indians were people. She was saying it was just different. But regardless, it's a product of the time. You Absolutely. can't sanitize history. You, you, if anything, you say, all right, this is the way people thought of things back then. Um, look how terrible that was. You use it as a teaching moment, but you don't say, you don't throw out, I hate the cliche, throw out the baby with the bathwater, but that's it. You don't say, look at the, the great body of work and look at all these books and the millions of people have read it, but no, we, she, she must have been inherently racist. We can't honor her at all. Shame on these people. I agree. Exactly. Thanks, thanks for calling. I mean, seriously. Allison in Johnson's Creek. Allison, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi there. Hi, Allison. I just wanted to say that I agree with you as well. There was a, a thing going around on Facebook this morning that I saw, and um, everybody that commented on that um, Facebook thing that was going around agreed, too, that this is just silly. And I think, um, you know, it's not like you have to agree with her mindset at that time, but, you know, it's one thing to read about what went on in a period of time in history, in history books, but it's a whole other thing. To hear it from you know a personal perspective, mm-hmm. I think it adds greater understanding to what was going on in the minds of people at that time. Yeah, you you study. I mean, again, the the book started to be written in 1935. It, it's like it's like the war on some of Mark Twain's stuff. It's like the war on Huckleberry Finn or Tom Sawyer. Well, okay, that's 
you know, those books reflect the way people thought and the way people spoke at, you know, at the turn of the, the, the 20th century. And so are, are we supposed to say, no, Mark Twain had to be this hopeless racist because, you know, he was reflecting mores of or the way that people thought back then? I mean, where does where does this end up stopping? I guess that's what's scary to me. I agree. No, thanks to call. I mean, it, it, again, and it, it's if if you want to teach these books, okay, I, I have no trouble with trying to put them in context. If I was if I was a parent, you know, and my kids were reading these books, I would say, okay, look, this is not this is how people thought, you know, back at the turn of the century, and you know, we progressed a long time before it. But I mean, it doesn't it doesn't make the author sexist. It doesn't make the author, um, you know, a, a racist. It just reflects the views at that time, and it serves as a teachable moment. Lamar in Orlando. Hi, Lamar. You're on WTMJ. Hey, taking my call, Jeff. Yes, sir. I think one of, one of the biggest things that people, and this, this is just in general speaking, do we, we don't understand context. Mm-hmm. Um, context, context, context. There's two examples that I gave the, the screener that, that, we, that we take out of context. I want to you know, qualify really quick. Number one is, that, like, in this instance, the time in which you read it, written it, Right. Um, the, the rebel flag, and they use the N word. Let me let me let me get the point. Um, the I don't have a problem with that word in and of itself, depending upon the context in which it's used. If it's used in, in, in a song, a rap song, and they're using it in that context, that's fine. If it's used specifically as a racial slur, mm-hmm. then it's bad. Just like the, a dog, I can say, right. "I love dogs." The word "dog" isn't bad. I can call you a dog. That that's bad. The same thing with the rebel flag. The flag in and of itself, I have no issue with. It was a part of our history. It is what it is. I personally don't want it flying on public buildings and being endorsed by the government, but if, if my neighbor decides to fight, that's on them. Right. And this is another example of us taking just just that, that uh, taking everything out of context and saying it's all bad. Right. And that is terrible. And we don't grow from that. Well, right. No, Orlando, right. right. Thanks for calling, Mark. No, you, you know, and I mean, where do you draw the line? All right. Do, does this now mean that, that, for example, if you look at the whole canon of 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 western movies you know that that many of us grew up with you know the the, the movie where it was kind of like cowboys versus indians can you say cowboys versus indians nowadays well i just did all right where where the indians were perceived as the bad guys well okay that was a stereotypical portrayal i understand reality is a whole lot more nuanced does that does that now mean that we we can't show any of those movies because they had to be inherently racist or you do you just take them from the perspective I guess it is just this. This is just another example of these, you know, intellectuals who sit around and decide. Well, we're now going to judge, you know, works of art. And th- here you have something. I mean, she was an artist. Here you have something that has contributed to causing, like I was saying earlier, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people to to read and enjoy this. But now, because we're going to apply our our values from 2018, we're going to say, well, look, this was written in 1935, but we're not going to consider, like um, Lamar was saying, context. We're going to denounce it as racist. Shame on this library group. And I'm going to tell you something. Political correctness is going to be the death of us if this type of stuff continues and there's not some form of blowback. I understand that the people in this award probably sit around and they pat themselves on the back and they say, well, we're so much superior to everybody else. Because we understand inclusiveness. No, they don't understand anything. 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right, I hope the message that the police chief of Milwaukee tried to send yesterday about, we will chase you if you run, 
I hope that gets out because I, it is amazing. I have a stack of stories involving chases. Here, here is one. Um, this was yesterday morning, about three o'clock in the morning. Greenfield police try to make a, a traffic stop near West Loomis Road and West Layton Avenue. About 3.15, car driving recklessly. They pull the car over. The officer gets out of the car. You know, the car's pulled over. The car takes off. The cops run back, get in their car, start to pursue, but then stop. I mean, the, the radio traffic is one of the police officers who says, I'm going to terminate this chase. The guy's pretty far ahead. He's going about 115 miles an hour, approaching 20th Street. I'm going to terminate, then just check to make sure he didn't crash. Well, what they do is they find this driver about 17 blocks east of where the chase started. Apparently what happened is the guy drove the car into the side of a semi, and the guy who was fleeing is dead. He's dead. Dead. Um, they haven't released his name yet. Now, I, I, I hope you don't think this makes me a, a terrible person, but you know what? I, I, don't, I, I don't feel sorry. that This is the type of stuff that, that happens when people do this. And if something bad has to happen to somebody... Well, I would prefer it to be the person who is fleeing from the police at 115 miles an hour than somebody who just happens to get in the way of the person who's fleeing at 115 miles an hour. Okay, so that's chase story number one. Chase story number two. A person was taken into custody this morning after running a red light and striking another vehicle during a police pursuit. According to police... The pursuit began around 12.15 a.m. This is a, around the area of kind of 6th and, and Lapham. Um, what, what happens is officers attempt to stop a reckless driver. The driver flees, and the officer loses sight of the vehicle. So the guy's driving away at a high rate of speed. Another squad spots the vehicle a few blocks away, still driving in a reckless and dangerous fashion. The second officer tries to stop the vehicle the driver blows a red light at 6th and Lapham, strikes another vehicle. Person in that vehicle was struck and injured, broken leg. Thankfully, that's bad, but at least it could have been worse. The driver of the reckless vehicle complained of minor injuries. Oh, that's too bad. And was taken into custody. So that's chase number two. Chase number three, a 51-year-old man and a thirty his 30-year-old son. The apple not falling far from the tree. Hey, Dad. Let's go out. Well, listen to the story of this. 51-year-old man and his 30-year-old son were arrested by the county, Milwaukee County Sheriffs after fleeing from a traffic stop in a stolen vehicle. Now, this happened over the weekend. The father, this would be the 51-year-old, had an outstanding felony warrant for second-degree sexual assault of a child. If you wonder why people run, there, there's almost always a reason. It's almost because that's just not the normal reaction. And one of the problems with the old Milwaukee chase policy is they said, well, you have to know the person's like uh, committed a violent felony before you can chase. Well, you don't know why they ran. All you know is that they ran, and 99% of the time, they have a good reason for it, good reason in their mind. Outstanding warrant. They're drunk. No driver's license. Body in the outstanding, the body in the back of the trunk. Um, I don't know, drugs all over the car. There's a reason why people run. The 51-year-old father had an outstanding felony warrant for second-degree sexual assault of a child 
when he was pulled over at 5.30 p.m. He sped off before he and his son abandoned the vehicle in a nearby alley and then started running on foot. <sighs> okay, I, I, I can't tell this story without thinking about my father. Think about your father. All right, now, now you know, all right, you're, you're driving around with Dad. <laughs> you know, dad is 55, do the math, you're however old you are, 25, 30, whatever, 35. You're driving around. The cops pull you over. Dad has an outstanding warrant for sexual assault of a child. That probably like distinguishes and differentiates most of your, your your parents. But Dad says, oh, here are the cops who pulled us over. Come on, son, let's run from the police. Who does this type of stuff? What sort of world is there that you got people? So here you have the Father and Son Act. They're jointly fleeing from the police. They speed off. They abandon the vehicle in a nearby alley. The vehicle was, no surprise, reported stolen from Butler, so, you know, now they have these guys that were, you know, they end up being arrested. So you've got that that pursuit as well. So it's another day, it's another chase. And I hope to heck that that message gets out that, you know, officers will chase. Which brings me to the update on a story we talked about briefly yesterday. Something that happened in the North Shore. If you look at, at various communities, I, I think there, there's a number of nice communities in Milwaukee County, and, and you think that, I mean, I, I'm biased. I lived in Whitefish Bay for 30 years. Don't live there anymore. But I, I grew up in Glendale. I lived in, in Whitefish Bay. And you think of Whitefish Bay as, as being a nice, safe community. Well, if you think that way, you might want to think twice after we have this next conversation. Stick around. 115, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 117, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so I, we were going through some of the most recent chases in just the last day or two. And this is this is just like one or two days around here. Well, we talked a little bit about this yesterday. Um, what happened was last Friday, late Friday night, early Saturday morning, there were a series of cars that were stolen in Whitefish Bay, reported as stolen. The police see them. They start to follow them. One guy drives his car, one of the stolen cars, up uh, onto somebody's lawn and then crashes into a tree and runs away. Um, what happened was a Glendale police officer, and if you can picture this, this is right by Bayshore Town Center, um, Silver Spring and Port Washington Road. There's a freeway on-ramp there. There's a, a police officer from Glendale who's putting down those stop sticks, you know, the things that blow out the tires. And what happens is there's a stolen car. It's driven by an 18-year-old who's fleeing, and the guy apparently crosses several lanes of traffic. I, I think there's a real question as to whether he was trying to run down the police officer. But anyhow, um, you know, ends up getting away. They've now caught the guy who, who did it, and they're recommending the prosecutors charge him with multiple felonies. Here, let me just read you the way the Journal Sentinel reports this, and then I want to get to the point I want to discuss with you. The suspect was driving a 24 2014 Hyundai stolen from a driveway in the 6,000 block of North Santa Monica Boulevard. Whitefish Bay police pursued the stolen car as it fled westbound on Silver Spring. Glendale officers were dispatched to the intersection of Port Washington Road and Silver Spring to deploy the the stop sticks. The stolen um, Hyundai sped into the intersection, crossed several lanes of traffic, and struck a Glendale police officer. Thankfully, the officer was not seriously injured. The vehicle continued west on Silver Spring and eventually eluded police. The car was later found torched and abandoned in Milwaukee. This this is the type of stuff that is going on on a regular basis in this community. 
Okay, but here's where it gets interesting, even more interesting. The Hyundai was one of three cars stolen from Whitefish Bay in the early morning hours of Saturday, June 23rd. The suspects also stole keys to an Acura and an Infiniti that were parked in the 6200 block of Bay Ridge Avenue. The suspects obtained the keys by entering an unlocked house and stealing the keys from a purse. So these these thieves are going door to door testing doors to see if they're unlocked and then going in and rifling through people's purses. All three of the stolen cars were parked next to each other in Bay Ridge when Whitefish Bay police responded. responded. Two of the cars fled, including the Hyundai that hit the officer. Third car finished, fishtailed, and got stuck in a yard. Later that morning, and here's what I want to discuss with you. Later that morning, Whitefish Bay police sent an email alert warning residents to lock the doors to their homes and cars to not leave a spare car key inside their car. In addition to the four vehicle thefts, nine, nine unlocked vehicles were entered in the early morning hours on Bay Ridge, Shoreland, and Kent Avenue. And the police chiefs say that there's, there's crimes of, of opportunity. Surveillance footage has shown thieves encountering locked vehicles simply moving on until they find an unlocked car. So now in, in one of the nicer areas in in Milwaukee, in Milwaukee County, you now have roving bands of thieves that are going driveway to driveway, door to door, seeing if somebody has either unlocked a door or left their car unlocked in the driveway. And if they do, it's, it's a good chance that it is going to be stolen. And the, the response of the police is, well, well, make sure you lock your car in your driveway and make sure you, you lock your, your car door and don't leave a spare key inside your car. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I I don't fault the police for sending out this email and, and essentially saying crime in our community is so out of control that you can't leave an unlocked car in your driveway and you can't leave a door to your house unlocked. And whatever you do, don't leave a spare key in your car because it's going to be gone in 60 seconds. Now, that's not quite what it says, but that's what they're, they're telling you. So, I mean, I, I understand. I guess that's that's decent advice. But why do we put up with this? I, I mean, seri- and this is a serious question. At some point in time, are law-abiding, tax-paying citizens going to come out and say enough is enough. We are not going to tolerate being treated like prisoners in our own home. We're not going to be told that, gee, crime is now so bad in our communities that you, you can't you can't leave a back door unlocked. You can't leave a car unlocked in your driveway or else it's going to be stolen. How have we let things get this bad? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line. And I don't blame the police for this, but I do blame the district attorney's office and I blame the judges and I blame a system which has taken, has gotten so soft on crime that people do this type of stuff with impunity. And they don't just do it in the so-called bad neighborhoods. They do it in the good neighborhoods. It is spreading, and you're starting to see this all over. 414-799-1620. And I don't fault the advice that the police are giving you. You know, lock your keys. You know, lock lock your car in your driveway. 
Lock your doors. Don't let anybody you know, lock those doors to the garage because somebody's going to come in. How did we get this out of control? And are we ever going to say enough is enough? 414-799-1620. Jeremy in Brookfield. Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Um, I guess my, my biggest you know, concern with you know, the vehicle theft and the you know, increasing numbers of vehicle theft that are you know, taking place every day, it seems like, you know, why don't they have any base fire programs on the streets? That, that seems to be a very effective um, tool in you know, deterring auto mm-hmm. thefts in different parts of the country, and I just don't know why that Milwaukee hasn't started to do that yet. Yeah, yeah, just all all through the area. Just what like what you're saying is just like take some nineteen, you know, at some you know two thousand six car or whatever, leave it on the street in Whitefish Bay, unlocked, and watch it. Because if these thugs are going through there, chances are it's going to be gone. Then you catch some of them, huh? Well, right, you know that, and you know if you were to do the base car program, you would have to have judges that are prosecuting. Because there was a particular case out of me on the news where there was a fifteen year old. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, we lost your cell phone there. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that is that is the key, and I've told this story before, but, I mean, one of the justifications for the no-chase policy that Ed Flynn used to have was he said we'd catch them, and then the DA's office doesn't do anything, and the judges don't do anything. If they're 50, if they're juveniles, we're not going to wave them into adult court. They're going to get their wrists slapped. And, and so, yeah, I mean, that, I guess that's kind of my, my point here, is that this is a complete and total breakdown of the criminal justice system. But... I, I mean, people in Milwaukee have tolerated this for forever. Now you're starting to see it spread, you know, throughout Milwaukee County and into the rest of the suburbs. And my question is going to be, are we going to tolerate this? Are the people in Whitefish Bay going to be toler- told, well, crime is so out of control that the only thing you can do is lock your car? And it's not bad advice, but you have to lock your car in your own driveway now. We're not talking about leaving your car running in the dead of winter with it unlocked. We are now saying you can't leave your house unlocked. God forbid you should leave a window open because somebody's going to come in there and they're going to steal things. 414-799-1620. Tell you what, let me take a quick break. We'll be back with more calls in just a moment. We have touched a nerve with this as well. If you're on the line, please hold on. How much more seriously of this stuff are we going to tolerate? 126, Jeff Wagner. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I, I, I understand that President Trump is a, a different sort of leader of the free world than we have had. And I understand that he has a sort of, well, the, the way I would describe it is kind of a Wreck-It-Ralph approach. You know who Wreck-It-Ralph is? You know the cartoon? He's, I, I understand. Trump has a sort of Wreck-It-Ralph approach to different issues. It's just kind of like, there, there's, no, there's no subtlety. What, love him or hate him, there, there's no subtlety a, at all. And, and I have always, since he, he burst onto the political scene, I have tried to be fair on this show, and I've done segments, and I, I've, I, I try to see some nuance, and I've applauded him when he's done the right thing. I've criticized him like I did in the earlier today. I think he's dead wrong on, on this trade war thing. I think it's going to hurt Wisconsin, but I, I, I've tried to be nuanced. Well, there, there's very little nuance when it comes to President Trump. There are people that just hate him, and, and I, I don't use the word hate lightly, but they hate him. They, they just hate him, and they're blinded by hatred. And then there's people on the other side who just absolutely love him. And then there's this big swath of people that are in the middle that are going to determine, I, I think, ultimately whether he is reelected uh, again or not. I, I use the term silent majority 
And I understand that that's somewhat out of favor because it has like Nixonian overtones. But I really do believe that. I, I believe that there there are there are certainly tribes in, in politics today, and you've got the the tribe on the left who just abhors the president and and thinks this is Nazi Germany. He's moving us towards Nazi Germany and and stuff like that. And then there's people on the right who think that he can do no wrong. But that's not where I think the majority of the country is. I think the majority of the country remains what I would say persuadable. There are people for whom politics isn't their their be-all, end-all. I mean, they care about getting their kids to school, and they care about their job, and they care about making their mortgage payment, and they care about, I don't know, being in a position where maybe they can take a week's vacation with the family in the summer, and they care about putting food on the table. Those are the things that, that they care about. They are the folks that are persuadable one way or the other. And I firmly, firmly believe that some of the stuff that is going on now is going to drive, if it continues, it's going to drive those people who might be persuadable into the Donald Trump camp. And interestingly, more and more of what I would call the mainstream left starts to be a little bit concerned about that as well. Now, there were a number of stories over over the weekend. The 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 resistance, you know, the the people who say we're we're going to resist Trump at, at all costs, the the resistance, which is the the fringe left wing. Okay, I describe it as kind of the kook left, the, the the hardcore haters. Well, they have become more aggressive, and you've seen this in big ways, and you've seen it in small ways. You, you saw it with the people going out, uh, camping out at two or thirty in the morning outside the director of Homeland Security's house and screaming at at, at her. You've seen it with, uh, again, Sarah Huckabee Sanders going into a restaurant and the owner throwing her out. It's been stuff like that that I think a lot of people look at and go, huh. And then, of course, you've got, you know, Maxine Waters, who's sort of the out there congresswoman from California. She's, she's doubling down. Over the weekend, she called for the harassment of people who work for Trump, and she's not backing down. Um, you know, she, she, over the weekend, you know, she said that if, if you see anybody from Trump's cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out, you create a crowd, and you push back on them, and you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. Um, she goes on MSNBC and said protesters are absolutely going to harass them harass them and so you know we now kind of you know ratchet this whole thing up it's like okay let's go out and let's get in these people's faces and and let's try to use this idea of public shaming because of of people's political viewpoints now 414-799-1620 that is the accurate mortgage talk and text line it's interesting because both the L.A. Times and the Washington Post, their editorial boards, as well as I think USA Today, they're, they're starting to get uncomfortable with this. They're starting to get uncomfortable with the dialogue, the idea that, okay, we're, we're now going to you know, move into this next phase of the harassment of, of people. Because I think some of even these editorial boards are wondering, where, where does this end? I think as a practical matter the more this type of stuff goes on the more it hurts the people who are 
anti-Trump people. Because, again, if you look at that, that swath of America that is, again, persuadable, I think most people look at it and say, okay, the spokeswoman for the president, she, she goes out to eat, and, you know, the, the restaurant owner throws her out. All right, here you have this woman who's the director of Homeland Security, and you've got two dozen crazies that are camped out with megaphones in the middle of the night screaming at her. I think the more this stuff happens, the better it is for Trump. But here's the thing. Just like happened in the recall election in 2011, where you had, you know, all the crazies that fl- flooded in, you know, it was like, I mean, you know, if you wanted to look at like a lot of the crazies across this country, it was like you pulled the stopper out of a bathtub. They circled the drain and they all ended up here in Wisconsin. I think that benefited Walker. I think this stuff benefits Trump. All right, is harassment, is taking this to the next level, is that going to be successful? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Chuck in Milwaukee. Chuck, you're first. Hello. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Well, you just stole my thunder. I told your screener that these people Thursday at the Foxconn plant are going to be the exact same people who trashed the Capitol for Act 10. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are going to say, wait a minute. First of all, why are they protesting billions of investment and thousands of jobs? And secondly, how do they have time to do all this silly protesting? How come they're not working? Right, like yeah, yeah, go, yeah, go, yeah. Get, get a job. Yeah, no, thanks for calling out. See, I'm, now I do want to make a distinction, Chuck. I, I think there, there's a different, okay, if President Trump is, is here in, in, you know, southeastern Wisconsin, I, I, I fully expect there to be protesters because, again, it's like, all right, we're, we're going to have the protesters. And you're right, all these other people who you do wonder, you know, why aren't you working? You'll get a job. But, okay, they're going to show up. But but that's, to me, it's it's different. It's different. Okay, you want to show up and you, you want to you protest outside an event. What, what, what people like Maxine Waters are talking about and what's been going on with the resistance movement, it's not showing up at a political event outside and demonstrating. It, it's, it's singling out individuals. Who, who work, in this case, they work for President Trump. You know, they're part of the administration. It's singling out them for personal uh, abuse. If you, this is what Maxine Waters is saying. If you see somebody in a shopping center, scream at them, attract a crowd, yell at them, tell them they're not wanted, try to force them to leave. All right. That's, it's, this is a different kind of, of level. This is, let's take this resist movement. And let's ratchet it up to the next point because, you know, we think it's going to be successful. Now, in the short run, you know, might it, might it make somebody uncomfortable to have, okay, a bunch of crazy people screaming at them, spittle flying, yelling, you're a not, you're like Goebbels, you're a Nazi terrorist or whatever. All right. Th- that's fine. But the more that gets out that that's a tactic, again, I think there's a lot of mainstream America that looks at that and says, I don't want to be part of this club. You know, I, I, and again, I do seriously wonder as, as we start ratcheting up the rhetoric and talking about let's get personal, let's harass people when we see them in public, you wonder what's going to happen when, I mean, somebody, some crazy person decides that they're going to take it to that next level. And, and this is, this is, I think, unheard of in American politics. Uh, again, I, I understand politics aren't beanbag. I, I get that. I get that there's always a healthy discourse and there's charges that go back and forth and things like that. 
but but we're now talking about identifying people who aren't really even running for office, and we're talking about suggesting get in their faces, scream at them, harass them, and for all the people on the left who denounce bullying. I mean, isn't this isn't this just the latest form of bullying that's out there? Isn't this what we're talking about? Try to bully people. Try to intimidate them. Now, I understand the thinking is, well, we're noble. You know, we have we have right on our side. So, you know, we get to do it. Well, that that that's fine. But I guess I think it's going to be counterproductive. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Every time you, you have somebody that decides they're going to confront someone in this type of fashion, in this type of context, I think you drive more and more people away from the, the cause of the, the anti-Trumpers because people just look at it and say, eh, I just don't want to be part of this club. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 146. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 148, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So there's always been fringe groups on the right and the left who have decided that they want to be confrontational, okay? But, but that's not what we're seeing now. What we're seeing is the, 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 the politics of rage just bubbling over and people losing control of this. I mean, I just go back. Just think about this. You've got a member of Congress saying, all right, here's what we should do. There, there, and, and she's talking about, she's talking about you. She's talking about worker, people who work for the Trump administration. But is, is it really, if you support Trump, is this really any different than that? They're not going to be able to go to a restaurant. They're not going to be able to stop at a gas station. They're not going to be able to shop at a department store. The people are going to turn on them. They're going to protest. They're going to absolutely harass them. This is a member of Congress calling for people to be harassed in this fashion. Do you want to be part of this club? Bob in Wauwatosa. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon. I, I was saying that this is the historical precedent of what happened at, before the Civil War, where you had one member of Congress literally caning a senator almost to death on the floor, and, he, and the rest of the Democrats did nothing to prevent it. In fact, he was never prosecuted or kicked out of Congress. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not equating right. that with that, other than the fact you have this level of rage within the institution. Right, and it, and it's becoming more mainstream, and and that's the scary thing. I mean, again, I if this is if this is coming from the fringe, if you had some neo-Nazi group on the right or somebody way out there on the kook left, but this is these are members of Congress that are talking about doing this stuff. This is something that's being normalized. If you look at listen to some of the commentary on places like MSNBC, I mean, they're actually talking about harassing, bullying, violence. You wouldn't. You know, I you wouldn't see stuff like this from the right. You just don't. There's the kook fringe that's out there on both sides, but this is this is the mainstreaming of this politics of rage. Now, thanks for calling. It's just and and that's and, and somebody's going to get hurt at at some point in time. You know, it is interesting. David Axelrod, who was one of the um, Obama campaign advisors, he's looking at this, and I mean, actually, he has an interesting tweet. He said, "Are you disgusted with the Trump policies?" Organize, donate, volunteer, vote. Rousting cabinet members from restaurants is an empty and ultimately counterproductive gesture that won't change a thing. Um, yeah, with the emphasis on on counterproductive, as people look at this and say, ooh, this is just creepy. Jeff in Wauwatosa. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. 
How you doing? Hi, yeah, Jeff. you know, everybody that I spoke with, you know, they're outraged themselves. Like you said, with the bullying that's going on with this side, um, why are they getting away with it? That's what I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, they work for us, and they seem to have forgotten that. Um, you know, even though the past president, President Trump is doing nothing really more than what the past 10 or 15 presidents should have been doing yeah. and following the guidelines of, of our Constitution, you know, and the rules of, you know, everything that's getting out of control now that should have been taken care of 15, 20 years ago. Well, I think, Jeff, thanks. I think part of what's going on here is that there there is a segment of the left that has never accepted the legitimacy of the Trump presidency. They thought Hillary Clinton was going to win. They're shocked that she didn't win. And so a lot of this is fueled by the fact that, well, he's not a legitimate president. Our, our candidate had to win, even though that, that didn't work out that way. And then, of course, it is fueled by the the I was describing it earlier, and I'm not I'm, I'm not I didn't coin this phrase. Lots of people said it kind of the wreck it Ralph approach that the that the president has. It's a take no prisoner sort of approach that some people, myself included, find to be off putting. And, and so you, you couple those things together. The fact that the left never recognized him as legitimate and you, you add the fact that the president is very, very in your face and has not contributed, I think, to a civil dialogue himself. And, and then you have the other people who says, OK, well, this now justifies anything we want to do. Don't you understand um, separating children at the border? That's the equivalent of putting people in concentration camps in World War Two. That, that's the argument that they make. And so we're entitled. We are justified in doing anything that we want. And I'm like, you know, n- no. Here's a text. Bully tactics on the left have now gone way past Trump's provocative rhetoric. Um, should have political blowback unless the trade war, you know, dumps the economy. I, I think, that, you know, obviously people vote with their pocketbook, but I, I'm, I'm trying to imagine a situation where, you know, you're walking down the street and you, you know, work for the administration and now all of a sudden, you know, people feel justified. You're in a department store. You're pumping gas. Here, let's surround the person and start screaming at them. Okay, really? This is this is the image you want to convey? Larry in New Berlin. Larry, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, good afternoon. I'm thinking the same thing, man. We're going to need moderate leadership. I'm of the idea that I'd rather be independent because I don't want to be on the far right, and I definitely don't want to be on the loony left. Yeah. So well, it's going to get it's going to get worse. Yes, it's going to get worse for you better. I you know, Larry. Thanks for calling. You you may very well be right, and I I guess I just wonder what what quote unquote worse means. And I understand there's always been heated rhetoric, right? But but when you have members of Congress who are coming close to calling on people to do violence, and I understand. She didn't come right out and say, you know, engage in acts of violence. But she came out and said, harass people. You know, if you see anybody from the cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out, you create a crowd, you push back on them, you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. Now, that's not saying hurt them, but it's really close to that. It's close to that. And this is a member of Congress who is making this argument, and she's being applauded in some circles on the left. It's not that far to imagine, you know, somebody who is worked up 
who decides to take it that one extra half step further. And I so I'm with you. I wonder what's going to happen. What is the quote-unquote worse going to be? But from a political perspective, it is interesting because, like I say, there's, there's a lot of these liberal editorial boards now who I think are a little bit uncomfortable with what they are now. Um, let, let me use my cliche. They're reaping what they have sowed. You know, they've been talking about how just terrible this president is, how awful this is, how all these policies are this and that and the other thing. And now they're starting to see you've got some people who are so whipped up that you wonder, have you created this mob? Now you've got the politics of rage that's out there. Are you going to be able to control it? Time will tell. It's 156. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Financialengines.com or call 262-717-0022 today. This is Steve Scafidi. I don't know about you, but climbing a ladder to clean your gutters is a messy and dangerous chore. This year, LeafGuard Gutters is taking care of that for me, and they can do the same for you. LeafGuard's patented seamless design channels rainwater into your gutters while leaves and other debris just roll off. Thanks to LeafGuard, I never have to climb that ladder again. Call 262-682-0500 today to get 50% off installation labor, free financing for 12 months, and a $100 Visa gift card with qualified purchase. 262-682-0500. Church and Chapel Funeral Homes. Comfortable locations. Comfortable people. Church and Chapel Funeral Homes. There's one near you. When it comes to professional-grade performance, no more is greater than the Gravely Zero Turn. Gravely, built to mow the distance. Available at Bill's Power Center, Capital Drive in Brookfield. Your authorized Gravely dealer. Visit BillsPowerCenter.com for the full line of Gravely machines. You won't find a better price on a mattress than Steinhoffel's. Guaranteed. It's a Royal Rumble out of the lights at Miller Park. Get out of here! First place Brewers welcome the Kansas City Royals to the west side of Milwaukee for an interleague showdown. Took advantage of an off night for them, and then it was good that we did. Hall of Famer Bob Euchre is in the booth as our Brewers game day coverage gets going tonight. It's talking about an enormous expenditure for something that is a necessity. You you have to have, you know, you have to have a courthouse, and there's just there's no other alternative. Now we might kick this down the road. For a year or two or five years, but you, it's it's really it has reached the point where that is what you have to do. So you've got this giant expense of something that that needs to be done that that it, that is out there. Now, of course, you couple that with all the other things in Milwaukee County that need money. The people who love the parks, for example, say the parks are underfunded. You know, we we need money for that. Um, you drive around, you know, some of the, the streets and the roads in Milwaukee County. Well, you know, we, we all know that, that those, you know, need need help as well. There's all these different needs that are out there. And, of course, ever since, well, let me put it like this. Even if it weren't for the pension scandal, all right, I, I think Milwaukee County would be challenged with the idea of, you know, where, where do you come up with $350 million to build this new facility? I mean, that would be a challenge under the best of circumstances, but given the fact that ever since the Milwaukee County Board and the former county executive um, threw us into the middle of the pension scandal, the truth is Milwaukee County doesn't have any money. They don't have any money for anything, much less some of these big expenses. So where am I going with this? Well, tonight, there is going to be a task force that uh, they're going to get together and they're going to try to figure out what to do with the 
Mitchell Park Domes. Now, Gru, have you ever been to the Mitchell Park Domes? You've been there once, okay? And that's how, why did you go to the Mitchell Park Domes? You hadn't been there, so you, you wanted to see it. How long have you lived in Milwaukee? You're originally from Wausau. How, so just, okay, so you've been there once in the year. Would you go back for the winter's farmer's market? You, you would go there, but, but just for the farmer's market. Okay, all right, fair, you know, f- fair enough. The, the problem with the domes, now, or, you, know, you know, you can see the domes from the freeway. Um, the domes were, were built in between 1959 and 1967. They were built, and they were used with, they were built with the construction materials of the time. My my house in Whitefish Bay, when we first bought it, it had this sunroom that was constructed, I think, with a lot of the same sort of techniques and things that were used back in the fifties and sixties. And the damn thing leaked like a sieve. It was it, it was just it it was just that was how it worked. And you know, we ended up tearing it down and building you know something that was newer, based in the nineties technology, and it, and it was just fine. But but you have these Mitchell Park domes. Which are are cool, all right? They they are cool, but the reality is they have reached the end of their useful life. On top of that, there are people who absolutely love the domes, and I I don't think I've been there in ten years, maybe more. And, and I I admit that when whenever I go there, I think especially in the winter, you kind of go in there and you think, oh, this is tropical, this is kind of cool. I need to come back here more often, but I don't. So I mean, and and I think that that's it. I think most people. There are some people who go all the time, but there's not many of you. <laughs> they're, just, they're just not. And so what, what's happened is you have this facility that, that is admittedly cool, that is, I guess the word would be iconic. I described, I used that word in the promo yesterday. <clears throat> they're, they're iconic, but they've reached the end of their useful life. Now, now here's the deal. Right now, the domes, as you recall, we had to shut them down for a while because there were chunks of like concrete that were falling from the top, and so now they have netting in to catch the concrete. Well, that's that's obviously not a solution that you can live with for very long. So you you've got that issue. Uh, apparently, when we had the rain a week or so ago, story in the Journal Sentinel, they're quoting somebody as saying water was pouring through all three of the domes. I mean, so I mean they're they're all leaking. Which isn't surprising because if you lived in a house that had a sunroom that was built in 1960 something, chances are it's probably going to be leaking. You've had deferred maintenance over the years. You can argue who's to blame for that, but that's just the reality of this. I mean, it's, it is at a point now where we really have to kind of fish or cut bait. So there's a couple different options that are on the table. One is to try to repair what you have. Um, work with the existing structures and, and get on with it. The estimates are it's probably going to cost $30, 35000000 million to do that. A- and that will allow you to, again, kind of limp along with what you have. Another suggestion is that you, you triple that. You take $90 million and you repair them, and then you, you expand them. You put in a zip line. You put in all sorts of, of other stuff, and you try to you, you try to make it an attraction, something that people you know want to go to. Or the other option is that we simply say these were cool, but they live they they've outlived their usefulness. 
and we we can't we don't have 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 million dollars to try to keep this thing going so let's let's just take the money let's maybe do something on a smaller scale on the grounds of the county zoo or something like that or let's just recognize that just like the circus parade which was something that was really cool in Milwaukee but it outlived its use Maybe that's what's happened to the domes. Okay, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage um, talk and text line. Look, I don't want to be labeled as a domes hater because I'm really not. I, I'm not. But I will tell you, somebody who's lived here in this community almost all my life, I have been to the domes a handful of times. I walk away thinking, oh, this is pretty cool. And if it weren't for the fact that the things are falling down, if we could just allow them to continue – that would be fine, but but that that's not an option. There needs to be radical things that are done to them if they are going to continue to you know serve as a tourist attraction. And I, I just think, given all the needs for money in this community, I just think that the domes aren't a priority. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, again, I, I think if you know, you need a new safety building. We need to have the roads be better. I, I think, you know, the parks in general probably need more money. And and then the list can go on and on and on. And then you get to the Mitchell Park Domes. I just think it's come it's time where we just kind of bite the bullet and say it was great. It's outlived its usefulness. Let's move on. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 216. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Your first place Brewers are back in action as they welcome the American League's Kansas City Royals in for a two-game interleague set. I'm going to be there tonight. Mr. Baseball Bob Euchre is in the booth. Our coverage starts at 635 this evening. It's sponsored by the Wisconsin Cranberry Growers Association. Dave in Greenfield. Dave, hello. Bye-bye, Domes. (laughs) I could care less about them. I've never gone to them. Um, I don't like the idea of spending taxpayer dollars to something that's going to lose money. And, and lose uh, a lot of money. I mean, lose, lose a lot, lot of money. money. Yeah. And you know what bothers me, too, is I you know, I work for the county now. I haven't been home for very long, but I do work for the county now. And so I'm thinking about my pension. I'm thinking, you know, if we have a lot of wasteful spending, that's eventually going to affect me and my coworkers down the road. I don't like wasteful spending. Let capitalism step in. That's prime real estate. Let them come up with something, mm-hmm. but don't waste a penny of my money on those domes. Well, that's right. And and for people who would argue, well, it's a quality of life issue. Well, okay, th- okay, tell me are, is maintaining or upgrading the parks is that more important than the domes? So so you don't care about the parks and and what do you do about the safety building? Like I keep saying that you you absolutely need to have there's only so much money to go around, so you have to start prioritizing stuff and the domes doesn't come close to paying for itself and it never will. And again, I've never gone. I don't ever plan on going, so I don't feel like investing my money into something I'm not using. Um, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. 414-799-1620. Okay, let's see. Uh, here's one of our texts. Uh, you have Yet, Jeff, you say let the domes go, but you have no problem using taxpayers' money to build new sports arenas. Yes, that that's true. But there, there's, a, there's a benefit. There's a payback to sports arenas. Yes, I argued in favor of taxpayer money for building Miller Park. 
You look at that decision, and I think it was a great decision for the community. It kept Major League Baseball here. It has generated a ton of revenue over the years. Yes, I think Miller Park was worth it. The Bucks Arena downtown. I think the Bucks Arena is going to be worth it. Now, that was a public-private partnership, but but yeah, the people are going to be swarming to that area. Now, I think, you know, ultimately, after you build the Bucks Arena, the ultimate thing is going to be five, ten years from now, has it helped that area grow? You know, it's if all we do is have a new arena and, and you've just, you've simply, you, you haven't, revitalize that area downtown, well, then I, I think you can question it. But I don't really believe that's going to be the case. I, I think you're going to have a revitalized area. But the domes have been there forever, and, and you know, people don't go. I Look, I, I understand that you have field trips that go there every once in a while, and people go once every 10 years or whatever, but it's not like the domes are this huge tourist magnet that's bringing in people and bringing in revenue, and that is certainly unlike Miller Park. So, yeah. I think Miller Park was a great example. I think it was worth the money we spent. And I think most people look at it and say, yeah, it's worth it. So, yeah, if you're going to compare to Miller Park to the Domes, yes, Miller Park, no to the Domes. Okay, now here's another I got a thoughtful text. I, be- I believe the Domes are a unique, iconic quality of life amenity of this community that were built for ongoing enjoyment by a previous generation with public money and that it's our obligation to preserve them for future generations that will certainly necessitate creative financial thinking who among us hasn't visited the domes on a school field trip when we were young and again with our children okay so that's that's twice you go when you're a kid as a field trip and then you go 30 years later with your kids or 20 years later um, you know, who hasn't attended weddings or concerts or corporate parties? Um, I haven't been there a- as well. The county needs to preserve them by making long-term repairs at the lowest possible cost. Now, I, I, if we were talking in a perfect world and, you know, you had a ton of money and you didn't have other, other needs, oh, okay, I, I would get it because I think it's a nice amenity. But the reality is, Things outlive their usefulness, and they end up, you know, sometimes you end up having to move on. Let's talk to Mark in New Berlin. Hi, Mark. You're on WTMJ. I sort of disagree with that. I know that Miller Park and the Bucks Arena are, you know, sports venues, entertainment. But we also, you have to remember when we did give the Milwaukee Bucks money, we gave it to two billionaires that owned that team. (laughs) You know, know, they didn't need that money. You know, if they were, why did they say put it toward their dorms or put it toward your parks or put it toward your schools? They didn't. They took it. I mean, you need the domes just because you don't like flowers, and I don't like flowers, which I really don't. Well, I, no, don't get me wrong. I, I like flowers. I, I think they're nice. But okay, all right. So here's my question, Mark: Where are we going to get the dough? Let, let's let's say it's thirty million bucks. Where is the dough going to come from? Do you want? Do you, well, are you willing to pay for a proper? How about? So quick. I'm sorry. What? How did they get the dough for the Bucks Arena so quick? You so you want the you want the state taxpayers to pick up the that I can tell you that ain't going to happen. You know, good luck at. Good luck getting some representative out of Green Bay or Lacrosse well, to vote for, for the, the Domes. Well, right, they they did it for the Bucks. No, well, that, I show, they did it for the Bucks. The way down here, I mean, that was all. Everything got pushed through, and the things almost fell. Right. I mean, now we have Domes, a national treasure. Sure, a lot of people don't go, but everyone everyone's heard of them. Everyone's okay. seen them. Okay. Well, let, let but but let, let's let's talk let's talk reality. Um, I, I think if you were going to try to come up with a funding source. It would be increasing the Milwaukee County sales tax. That's probably what you'd be looking for. Would you be willing to pay an extra five percent on on your sales tax to try to pay for the domes? 
what would that what would that come out to? How much? How much? Uh, let, let's say let's say an extra nickel for every dollar. Um, yeah. I suppose. How long do we do it for the stadium? We're still doing it, right? Right. They're gonna. It's good. The stadium's gonna sunset. No, thanks. I'm just. I, I'm just saying. If if for everybody who says thirty million dollars for this, or fifty million, or seventy million, I mean, my question's going to be: Tell me where the dough is going to come from. Now, I. I and, and let's live in the real world. If you think the state legislature is going to fund repairs on the Milwaukee County Mitchell Park domes, it's it just trust me on this. We don't have to believe anything else I've said on the radio show today. Trust me, that just isn't going to happen. Now, now you know one of the, I'm getting a number of texters who are saying, "Well, I would have rather spent it on the domes than the trolley." Okay, city versus county, but I'm not going to argue that. I would have rather. I think taking that 60-some million dollars that Tom Barrett has in federal money and coupling it with another 60 or whatever million dollars in local money and spending it on the trolley, I think that has been the equivalent of taking whatever money you have in your wallet and lighting it on fire. I think that is one of the most frivolous, irresponsible uses of public money that I think I have ever heard of. I think we are going to regret this for the longest time, Barrett wants this to be his legacy. I think 10 years from now, when Potawatomi has stopped providing free rides, nobody is riding this thing. It doesn't go anywhere. I think the next mayor or maybe two mayors down in the Common Council is going to be looking at how do we get out of this and how do we get into it. So I'm not going to defend the trolley. If you would have said, gee, you know, we should have taken this money and, and used it on, on the domes, I, I, I tell you anything, anything I think would have been better then spending this money again, it's city versus county. I understand. I, I get that it's that this was transportation money. So I understand that. But my my point is don't don't say, well, we shouldn't have the trolley. I agree with you, we shouldn't have the trolley. This what the trolley was foolish, but you know, we we've already sunk that money in. So now if you want to save the domes, you have to figure out some other place that you're going to get the dough. And I I just don't know where it's going to come from, especially again when you think of all these more pressing needs. The domes might be nice for people to visit once every four or five years and have the field trips. The safety building, which is three hundred fifty million, that's something you gotta have. I mean, you have to have that because you know, unfortunately, in Milwaukee County, we got a lot of criminals and we got a lot of criminal trials, and you have to deal with that. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what's going to be decided, but I understand there's people that just love this. Unfortunately, there's not enough of you. There, there's just not enough of you to make this go. And unless you're going to be able to come up with somebody somewhere that's willing to provide millions and millions of dollars, and I don't know, I don't know who that philanthropist is going to be. You, you still, you know, we, the, the Bucks Arena, they still, they can't, they can't get somebody to pay for naming rights at whatever price they're asking. So, you know, are we going to have some corporate sponsor that comes in? And pays twenty five or thirty million dollars. It's not going to happen. So I think you have to view that. You know, when we talk about saving the domes, well, my question is, tell me where the money's going to come from. Two twenty eight, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two thirty eight, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, a lot of heavy lifting on the program for the first two and a half hours. But let's kind of switch it up a, a little bit. I um, if you are a regular listener of this program, um, you know that I, I freely confess that I am a fan of junk TV. And I just, I, I don't know what it is. It's, it's sort of like mindless entertainment. Maybe it's because 
know what I do for a living and uh, preparing for what I do for a living. You know, you're you're just you're thinking about and you're dealing with all the heavy stuff and you're a news junkie. So I admit that when I like to relax, I just I like to kind of zone out. And ah, my my wife, she'll walk in every once in a while, and I, I I think she keeps thinking, gosh, if I knew that these are the type of things that he would watch on television, would I have married him? And I think she'd say yes. But I, I, I acknowledge that it's one of those kind of transition things. And she'd say, what are you watching? And I'll say, well, I'm watching Swamp People. I don't know. I kind of like to watch Swamp People because no matter what, how bad a day you've had, you know, you're not making a living out in a little boat in the Louisiana bayou trying to catch, you know, 75 or 100 pound alligators, you know, you're, I'm not hanging the dead chicken on a hook, hoping that the alligator's going to eat it. And then I'm going to wrestle this alligator into the boat. I, no matter how bad a day you've had, you're not there. How can you watch? How can you watch, um, you know, deadliest catch? Well, okay, because no matter how bad a day I had, I'm not on a crab boat in the Bering Sea in January trying to catch crab. It, it's, I just, I, I sort of, I'm, I'm fascinated by how things work and how different people do stuff. And, and I admit that a lot of this, what I'm calling this junk TV, this semi-reality TV, it's, it's kind of just like potato chips. And I'll sit there and I'll just, I'll just kind of watch it. You know, you, you watch one show and then it leads into another and you go, huh, all right. I, I bring this up because one of the most successful and what I'm calling kind of junk TV shows, one of the most successful shows is the show Pawn Stars. And we, we talked about this just briefly yesterday. Pawn Stars, if you haven't seen it, um, it airs primarily on the History Channel. And it's been around for years and years and years. And it's set in this pawn shop in Las Vegas, which, by the way, if you ever visit it, prepare to be disappointed because it's a dumpy little pawn shop. It, it is. But what, what it shows is you have people who come in and they want to pawn stuff. And there's the cast of characters. There's the owner of the store and his son. And they're kind of the, the son's sort of high school buddy who's the sort of comic relief. And, and it's on the History Channel because people come in and try to pawn stuff or sell stuff to the pawn shop. And they'll explain the historical significance of it. But, but essentially it's like, gosh, this person, you know, found this thing at a flea market and is it worth anything? And, and it's, typically when they run these things, they run like six, eight of them back to back, you know, so you can just sit there for hours and hours and they all kind of bleed into each other and watch them. And I admit, I, I admit, I, I like it as junk TV. Um, I, I bring this up because the, the patriarch, um, the, the guy who was the original founder of, of the store, they called him the old man on the show, um, kind of this crusty old guy. He hasn't been on for a couple of years because he had a, a stroke. He passed away yesterday. His name is Richard Harrison. And a um, lot of attention in the media. Again, if you if you watch the show, you, you know who the old man was. But I, I, I mentioned his passing yesterday, and I mentioned from the perspective of a fan of Pawn Stars. I got a number of emails from people who, like me, just, just love to watch those type of shows. So here, I thought we'd have a little bit of fun on what will soon be a rainy thir- rainy Tuesday afternoon. Um, I want to talk about junk TV, um, and I, I freely admit that there are these shows out there that I just absolutely love, not because they're good TV, not really because they're educational TV, just because I'm fascinated by them. So I thought we'd have a little fun. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right, here's really my question. Hi, I'm Jeff. I love junk TV. I love Pawn Stars. I love Swamp People. I love Gold Rush. Matter of fact, Gold Rush, I, all right, I was at a party a couple weeks ago. There's the 
the husband, all right, there's people there, one of their high school buddies, he's going to be on Gold Rush this year. He, he's out, he's up right now in Alaska working on this mining crew. So, and guy from Milwaukee, 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is time to confess, are you addicted to junk TV and what is your TV show of choice? 414-799-1620, be honest, we probably won't mock you. Jason in Sheboygan. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, Jeff. I'm Jason. <laughs> my, my junk TV addiction is The Real Housewives. Okay. From Orange County or New York. One of those two. But um, I, I love it. <laughs> the women are attractive, and they have all this money, yet they still have problems, and I feel better about myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. You're saying, okay, this is. I, I watch this stuff. I, I don't have the money. I'm not on TV. But, right, it, it's kind of like, boy, the... These people seem to have it all, and they're really screwed up. Right. Got no. Exactly. I, I understand. Thanks for call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Your junk television show of choice. Let's talk to Rob in Green Bay. Rob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Uh, good. Good to talk to you. <laughs> Hi, Rob. You know. You know. Mine's naked and afraid. <laughs> okay. I, I got to admit, I've seen the promos. I've never watched that. Um. But under my category of you, you want to see people like who, who really look like they're miserable. That looks like a show where they look like they're really miserable. You're, you're right. You know, and I was like, I was like you know, I, I probably couldn't do the naked part either. But then I, <laughs> I just wondered that these people put themselves in such situations that, you know, it, it's insane that they even make it through. Um, well, yeah, and I mean, it just doesn't look. Uh, thanks. I mean, that's where they they take like a guy and a gal, naked and afraid, and it's either on Discovery or History Channel. I forget which one. And they drop them off in some desolate area and without clothes on, and then they just film them as as they try to survive. All right, let's go to our text line. Um, hi, Jeff. I'm Steve. I still watch Hoarders. <laughs> um, yeah, Hoarders would be. You know, Hoarders would be one of those junk TV shows. Um, Michael and Cedarburg uh, texts, My addiction is judge shows, like judge shows, like Judge Judy, hilarious, and it makes me feel better about my life. Yeah, that's kind of um, it. Um, okay, Zach in Milwaukee, Deadliest Catch, that's the crab boats in the Bering Sea, Gold Rush. My wife does not understand my Friday night fascination with Gold Rush, but it. I, I'm just I, I am I'm watching these guys and they're all trying to be gold miners and they they when they get gold they make a lot of money but it costs them a fortune to to do it at the end of the year I keep thinking wouldn't you just been better off working at McDonald's uh, real world the challenge years and years ago I was into the I, I did watch the real world back in the day a lot of people are texting deadliest catch um, which um, yeah that's that's Tuesday night on Discovery's uh, Discovery. Should I be embarrassed that I know it's Tuesday night on Discovery? No. Okay. I'm like I say, I'm addicted to junk TV. Back with more of your calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's two forty five. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two forty eight. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay. I'm going through the list of stuff. Bar Rescue. I watched that. Used to watch Restaurant Impossible. That got canceled. Um, but I, I used to watch that. I'm not proud of this one, but Mercure and I, we both used like Full Throttle Saloon, which was set, it was this biker bar during the Sturgis Bike Rally. I'm not proud of myself, but this is this is like in your own time when you're relaxing. Um, let's talk to Elaine in Milwaukee. Hi, Elaine. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, I'm Elaine. I'm addicted to junk TV. My addiction of choice is? RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> 
It's not slowing down. It's it's just it's fun watching drama queens. <laughs> okay, okay. Now I I gotta tell you, Lane. I've heard about the show. I've I've never I've never seen this, but this is this is like it's like a contest to find like America's Next Drag Queen, right? Correct. And there was actually a drag queen that got picked that worked at Hamburger Mary's. Um, I remember because we go to Hamburger Mary's ever so often, and I remember seeing him on the show. He didn't do very well, but yeah, even locals got on it. <laughs> um, okay, well. I, you know, I, I don't feel so bad about full biker of a full throttle saloon <laughs> anymore. No, thanks, but no, thanks. No, no, I promised I was going to make fun of the, the, She's right. I mean, it, it's like nine or ten seasons. I mean, so there, there's clearly like audiences that are out there for this. Tom in West Dallas. Hi, Tom. You're on WTMJ. Hey, how's it going? Good. Don't tell me that you're a RuPaul drag fan, too. No, 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 no. <laughs> Mine is the curse of Oak Island. Okay, what, you know, I've. I, I've never watched that one. I know it's on like around. It's on. Is, is it history or discovery? It's one of those two. I think, I think it's the History Channel. It's two brothers that heard about a treasure from Reader's Digest as, as kids, and they, uh, they they must have made well for themselves. And they got money to go over and they they search for this treasure. They never find <laughs> little clues, but every week I feel like if I don't watch the next week, they're going to find the Holy Grail, and I'm going to miss. Right, it just it right, it just kind of sucks you. No, thanks for the call. That that's that that's sort of it. And I, I mean, I mean, you look at a lot of these shows, and they do have they do have longevity. That's the thing. Now, I I get bored with some after a while, but I mean, because there is a there is a sameness. I mean, after you've seen them catch a bunch of crabs on the Bering Sea, you know h- how many times can you do it? But the, these shows last. I think that I think uh, Deadliest Catch is in like its fourteenth year. Gold Rush is like in seven or eight. I mean, people are maybe more than that. People get fascinated by this stuff, and I admit I'm I'm kind of one of them. Tyler in Oconomowoc. Tyler, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. Okay. Junk TV. I got two of them. One is uh, Street Outlaws. Okay. I think that's on Discovery Channel. Right. And then the other one is Graveyard Cars on Philosophy. I don't think I've ever seen that one. Um, but Street Outlaws. Are, are you are you kind of a motorhead to begin with? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love watching them guys take them thousand horsepower plus cars and just going down the street. I mean, I know it's not outlaw anymore because they closed the street down, but it's still right. You know. No, it's cool. Do you ever watch? Have you ever seen Counting Cars? The the one where the guy goes out and like restores cars and stuff in Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I used to watch that quite a bit. Yeah, no. Thanks. I, the reason I ask is because um, the the other night there was like. 12 shows back to back and I watched about an hour of the guy and it's you know it's set in Las Vegas and they he goes around and, and people come in and they say I want to restore this car and they do it and it's I, I'm not really a car guy but it's kind of interesting to see how that that works Jeff and East Troy Jeff you're on WTMJ good afternoon hi how are you I'm well thank you okay you are Jeff and you're 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 addicted to junk TV your addiction is forged in fire oh that's the one where they it's a competition to make like the the knives and stuff, right? Correct. Uh huh. What What do you find so interesting about that? Oh, <laughs> it, I, I just the overall work that these guys put into <laughs> making a knife. They'll They'll take a piece of scrap metal from. Sometimes they'll be sent to like a scrap yard and say, "Pick whatever you can can find out of the scrap yard," and then once you get back to our place, you have three hours to turn it into a knife. Right. Right, yeah. That that's what makes it interesting. I um, okay. I, I have a real confess. I have another confession to make here. 
because because my wife actually she rolled her eyes with me. Um, Melissa, have you ever? We're talking about junk TV here. Have you ever Project Runway? You ever watch Project Runway? Um, you know this is going to sound weird. I don't have cable. I only have Netflix. Okay, <laughs> you don't have cable. I don't. Right. Just Netflix. Okay. All right. All right. I, Project <laughs> Runway, which has been on for forever, and it's you have all these designers, and and part of it, it's this competition. They eliminate one every week. And, and part of it is just the designers, kind of their interactions, and some are nice people and some aren't nice, and what they say about each other. But it, it is amazing to me. And of course, I, I have I know nothing about fashion, and I know nothing about making clothes. But it, it's just the, the point that uh, Jeff, our last caller, was making too. That they send these people out, and they'll you know they'll they'll, they'll they have fifteen minutes in uh, a, a store, and they'll buy all this stuff, and they'll they'll turn it into this amazing kind of clothing. And I'm wondering. You know, obviously, you're really talented to do that type of stuff. So I, I, I understand there's great TV out there, and I understand it's junk TV. But I'll tell you, you know, when I just want to kick back and relax, there's nothing, nothing like watching some guy try to wrestle a hundred pound alligator into a boat in the Louisiana Bayou. I'm just, and if you feel, if you've had a bad day, trust me, you're not that guy on the boat. It'll make you feel better. It's two fifty four. We're going to find out what Melissa and John McCure have on their minds. Stick around.